You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. the next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. We're going back out west on today's episode to visit with one of our DU biologists, and this is a, a new guest on the show. We're going to welcome in Amelia Raquel, a DU biologist, and I'm not actually sure, Amelia, where you are located, so I'm going to just welcome you to the show, and then I'll ask you to tell us a bit more about where you are. Okay, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, I'm out in Susanville, California, so that's uh, northeastern California on the east side of the Sierra Nevada, Sierra Nevada mountain range. Um, it's actually about an hour and a half north of Reno, Nevada, so almost right on the California-Nevada border. One of the reasons why we have these these episodes where we introduce, uh, we have our DU staff or DU biologists come on, is we uh, we think there's value in having our listeners, our members, and supporters kind of get to hear from the people that are actually in the field doing the habitat work that is so important to the organization and to the resource that we're providing for uh, you're one of those people that fall into that category. And so we appreciate your time and joining us. Uh, I want to give you the opportunity at the, at the beginning here to introduce yourself in a bit more detail to our, uh, to our audience. So give us a brief uh, rundown on, on your personal background, your career uh, background, and, and, uh, and then what you do for Ducks Unlimited out in California. So I'm originally from California, uh, the Central Valley kind of the Sacramento, San Joaquin Delta region. Um, grew up hunting there, and that's kind of where my passion for waterfowl and wildlife came from. I have an undergraduate degree from the University of California, Davis, um, and then I went on to the University of Saskatchewan in Canada, and I have a master's degree from there. Um, 
studied nesting waterfowl up there um, in relation to land use and kind of some climate indices up there. Prior to working for DU, I was actually back kind of in my hometown uh, working on an island in the Sacramento-San Joaquin Delta that um, was managed primarily for sandhill cranes, wintering sandhill cranes and other waterfowl. And that was for a subsidiary of the Nature Conservancy. I've been with DU now for about a year and a half. I am a regional biologist, so my region covers Klamath Basin into Southern Oregon, all of Northeastern California and Nevada. And I do a lot of on the ground habitat delivery projects. My work with um, an engineering counterpart. So I do a lot of the grant writing and project development, working with landowners and wildlife area refuge managers um, to develop, you know, kind of what projects we think would be good. And then the engineer kind of takes that, you know, does the technical survey design and construction management to put those projects on the ground. Okay, thank you. We'll probably get into um, a, a few details of the type of projects that you work on there, but I want to connect a couple of dots here for some of our listeners that might have listened to, uh, might have tuned in to previous episodes. We had Matt Kaminsky, a biologist from the Central Valley of California, on a few episodes ago, as well as Mark Biddlecombe, the Director of Operations for the Western Region. So, you are within the Western Region, you're part of that staff, and you're uh, just, uh, I point that out just so people begin to begin to see that we have different people within the region stationed at different locations that, uh, and that's important because you know, you want to be, there's some efficiency to be gained by being close to where the habitat work is and you get to understand and know the partners a bit better. Uh, and so, uh, anyway, just wanted to help, uh, uh, help folks make some connections there with some of the other guests that we have. You and Matt Kaminsky have some uh, similar roles and responsibilities, but you're just located in different uh, different areas, different sites of the uh, of the Western region. So, uh, with that, I think we'll transition to a, a bit more about where you work, the the type of uh, the, the specific area where your work responsibilities fall. And you've referenced it, and it's uh, Southern Oregon and Northeastern California, and and uh, frequent readers of the magazine or people familiar with waterfowl conservation out west will it might recognize the acronym SONIC, S-O-N-E-C. It's the acronym for that region that I just mentioned. Amelia, I have to tell you that I was, I grew up in the south and first time I heard someone talking about Sonic, I obviously thought about the drive-in fast food chain that's all over the southern states. I don't know exactly how far it goes, but that's not exactly the Sonic that we're talking about here, is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, yeah, so southern, the Sonic region, um, it's actually split in half kind of in terms of on the ground biology responsibilities. So I have a counterpart um, that covers a lot of the Oregon side uh, outside of the Klamath Basin. So I cover Klamath, um, northeastern California. So that's kind of like Shasta, Modoc, Lassen counties. And then um, going into Nevada is actually kind of considered part of Sonic in some regard. So Sonic is continentally important migration landscape um, for fall and spring migration. I think something like 80% of the Pacific Flyway waterfowl population goes through Sonic um, either in the fall or spring. It's pretty, pretty snow melt driven system. Um, so we get all our precipitation in the fall, winter, and um, then, you know, spring runoff fills all our kind of terminal basins and shallow lakes. And then that's, those are really important habitats for the migrating waterfowl. So within that, within that region, uh, for the people that aren't familiar with it, uh, and again, you and I have talked before, and I, I believe I've mentioned in our conversations that I've never, never set foot within 
the sonic region. I've seen pictures and read about it. But uh, what what are the dominant habitat types? Like, what type of wetlands are we talking about? Uh, and and what combination of public private managed or, or public private ownership of those wetlands are, are we really dealing with in that area? Yeah. So kind of an intermountain um, type habitat. So there's you know small mountain ranges interspersed with kind of big wet meadow systems. Um, and the majority of the habitat is privately owned on uh, working ranches, so it's big ranch country. Um, there are, I think, there's about five different public uh, refuges or wildlife areas that I work with in my region, and those are interspersed. Um, but the majority of the habit is, habitat is privately owned. I think something like 70% of the wetlands in this region are privately owned. Give people a brief idea of what the wetlands on those ranches look like, and I, specifically what I'm thinking about, and I believe this applies to the Sonic region, the um, the spring flooding, the flood irrigated uh, lands, uh, th- those are prominent within the Sonic region, correct? Yeah. Tell, tell people what that is. When we say flood irrigated ranch lands in the spring and their importance for water problem, like, like what is that? What's, this, what's flood ir- irrigation for people back east or anywhere in the U.S. that may not be familiar with what's going on out there? In the springtime, um, there's a lot of rivers and springs and, you know, small perennial streams. Um, and a lot of that has been developed in some regard on these meadows. So um, these ranchers typically, you know, put in irrigation structures and help raise the water table in those meadows and kind of sheet flood that water outside of those stream banks onto the, the meadow to irrigate that. So when we say flood irrigation, it's it's kind of literally what that is, rather than like the the center pivot or some other kind of um, source of irrigation or, or mechanism of irrigation. You're, it's actually this really shallow water across these vast uh, meadows, grassy meadows, right? And it's and it's it's irrigated to uh, to stimulate the growth of the forage, which you know ranching and that provides the food for the cattle. Do I have that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, and that's uh, so. That's a springtime uh, deal, uh, and in the in the fall, what are we? Uh, it, is much of that habitat on those on the ranch land available in the fall or during the fall? Or the waterfowl more dependent on the intensively managed wetlands uh, that might be predominantly on on public lands? Yeah, most of those, so most of the working ranches irrigate in the springtime, and then they dry up to either hay or graze for the fall and winter. So most of those lands are dry during the fall winter. So the primary habitat for migrating waterfowl and other water birds is on those public lands, which are more intensively managed wetland properties. You've mentioned this already a bit, uh, Amelia, but I want to dive into a bit more detail on it. The primary source of the water for um, for those intensively managed wetlands on the public land, as well as in the spring, when we're talking about the flood irrigation water, is, is snow melt. Uh, and so describe that. And it's not snowmelt necessarily from the fall of, let's say, 2019. When we're talking about wetland management that occurs in the fall of 2019, it's not – the source of that water is not snow that necessarily falls in the fall of 2019. It's It comes from like in the spring and summer, uh, back in the spring and winter of the previous year, right? Yeah, a lot of the time. So most of our precipitation occurs in the winter um, and then as it warms up – that snow melts and you know 
fill some of these basins and things like that. But so a lot of um, the wildlife areas and refuges um, and just outside of that where they get that water, a lot of them are part of bigger um, irrigation kind of systems. Um, they, there tend to be reservoirs where they, you know, hold all that water and then kind of slowly release it as they need it for those irrigators during the spring and then um, later on in the fall when that water is not be, being used for agriculture. I want to talk briefly here about waterfowl. And you mentioned that the Sonic region is primarily important and continentally important uh, given its connection to the Central Valley during uh, uh, autumn and spring as as a migration stop oversight. Do you have birds hanging around in the Sonic uh, throughout the winter or does it get so cold there being in the Intermountain area that that, uh, all those wetlands freeze up? What's the... What's the residency pattern of waterfowl during the winter? There aren't a lot of waterfowl that winter here because it does freeze up, but sometimes, you know, if it gets warm, it'll thaw, and those birds from the Central Valley will come back up um, and hang out for a little while, and then it might freeze again, and they'll go back down to the Central Valley. So it's not a huge wintering area, but if it does warm up enough and those wetlands open up, then they'll come back. Do you have many waterfowl there now, or is this one of the years where it's, has it frozen uh, by now? It's much frozen. It's been pretty cold recently, so I think most of the birds are in the valley by this point. And with respect to the birds, what uh, what species come through there uh, in greatest numbers? Which which species is that region most important for? Uh, definitely the northern pintail in terms of migration. I think something like eighty percent or more come through here. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our long-time partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. What we do as an organization, uh, really everywhere we work, is designed to address the uh, the things that are most challenging and that are most limiting for to our ability to to uh, provide and 
provide and, and manage quality wetlands that support waterfowl. So, uh, so we always think about you know, what are the greatest challenges within a given region that are either limiting the availability of wetland habitats or uh, preventing us from maximizing their productivity. So within the sonic region, what are those key challenges for wetland conservation and wetland management? Sonic is, you know, in an arid region, so water is kind of the most limiting factor for wetlands here. So a lot of what we do is related to um, water availability, water conveyance, and water use efficiency, especially on some of these public um, public wildlife areas and refuges. So a lot of what we are doing is trying to, you know, provide infrastructure um, for these managers to use what water they do have um, as efficiently as they can to be able to provide as much habitat as they can with, you know, the limited water supplies that they may be getting. So a lot of these um, refuges and wildlife areas are tied to kind of complex irrigation systems that provide water kind of, you know, most of them to throughout, you know, entire basin or valley. And so there's water rights associated with those things um, and all of this kind of depends on what kind of water year we get. So, you know, a few years ago, we were in a pretty bad drought. And then in the past couple of years, we've had, you know, amazing water years. So it's all, you know, very dynamic, depending on what precipitation we may get in that given year. What you described there sounds a lot like uh, some of the some of the work that, that I was familiar with uh, that occurs along in, in coastal Texas. You know, coastal Texas is one of those rice-producing regions, and uh, the availability of water for rice irrigation and then subsequent flooding during the winter is uh, – it sounds similar to what you're describing there. And so when you're talking about – you know, Ducks Unlimited can't make more water. We can't make more water fall from the sky. None of our partners can either. Yeah, but what we can do is increase the efficiency of the use of that water, which is what you're talking about. That occurs in, in Texas and, and other regions as well, as I'm sure we'll talk about through time. Uh, and, and so on the surface, you might not think about some change to infrastructure for the uh, management and management of water levels within a wetland as being highly valuable. But really, when you're, when you're competing for such a limited resource and such a valuable resource, that being water, uh, anything that we can do to enhance the efficiency uh, by which we use that water to manage wetlands for for waterfowl goes a long way in in helping us provide the resources and and justify the continued use of that of that resource. So um, I'm a little familiar with what you're describing there, and and so it uh, definitely makes for some challenges and makes for some different uh, different types of approaches to wetland conservation. Amelia, are there any? Uh, are there any projects ongoing, recently completed, or planned habitat projects out in that region that are uh, that are particularly noteworthy or that you would want to highlight here to share with our listeners? Yeah, um, there's one project that I'm pretty excited about. Um, it's still up and coming. We just broke the grant and um, heard that we've been selected for funding, so you know it'll be a year or two out. But it's a planning study to kind of look at the engineering feasibility and kind of environmental assessment of um, a huge water conveyance alternative system on Lower Klamath National Wildlife Refuge. So the majority of their water comes in through one intake from, you know, the big irrigation system. And it currently has to flow through like about a 5,000 acre wetland and then another maybe 2,000 acre wetland until it can be used on any other unit on the refuge, which is kind of crazy to think about, especially in such a water limited region. Um, so what we're going to look at is trying to find an alternative water conveyance system for them. So it might be a pipeline or a huge um, canal to uh, basically bypass water going through those two units to be able to be used on 
basically every other unit on that refuge. So I think that's going to be a huge deal in the future, especially for water use efficiency. Is there some on-the-ground work, uh, some dirt moving, so to speak, that would be involved in that? Or is this just sort of an initial engineering and design working along the Gulf Coast? I know that yeah, engineering, the big thing that was an eye-opener to me is sometimes these engineering and design and feasibility studies can take two years or longer, uh, and they're, they become a project in themselves just because of all the complexities of, of, of the issue of moving water and, and the way it's regulated and everything else that comes along with it, especially in a you know, coastal environment is vastly different because you're dealing dealing with um, just a different system. But uh, I I guess the point I'm trying to make is that these engineering and design studies, uh, although on the surface you don't think, well, why do we need to spend that much money or why do we need to spend that much time doing all that? But uh, that's the reality of of what's involved in some of this. But uh, so getting back to the project that you described, is uh, is there some dirt work, so to speak? that would be involved in this, or is it just sort of the feasibility element of it? Right now, it's just the feasibility element of it. Um, but there's, a, you know, some different complications and just some different potential alternatives. So we need to kind of really figure out what is going to be the best solution and the less environmental impacting solution. Um, and then once we kind of come with that alternative, then we'll go try and, you know, find money to implement the project. But ultimately, the goal is definitely to, you know, Put it on the ground. What would you be looking at as a um, um, time frame for for getting something for implementing that? That's probably an impossible question, but I had to ask it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the money for the planning grant we probably won't have for about a year, and then that'll take at least a year to go through that whole process. And then it's really dependent on funding availability because this is probably going to be a pretty expensive project to implement <laughs> so yeah hard to say no i'm I, i'm familiar with that and that's probably that probably was not a fair question we <laughs> dealt with we dealt with many of those similar issues along the gulf coast because it's a yeah multi-million dollar project tens of millions of dollars sometimes and uh, it just takes time to to do the studies to to make sure you've identified the correct alternative the most efficient most effective alternative and then like you say you've got to go through the next route of of finding the resources to actually do the work and then and then it takes time to do the work you know sometimes it can be 20 years from conception to completion for these large scale projects but uh but uh, many of them are so incredibly important and uh, they're worth pursuing so that that was uh, it's neat to hear about the work that y'all are involved in there I, I i did not realize that we were involved in some of that uh, that type work so cool and thanks for sharing Amelia, I want to I want to wrap up here by asking you about habitat conditions in the region. We've talked about the wetland management, uh, the importance of those of wetlands in Sonic. They're primarily important as as fall and spring migration staging areas, and uh, and notably in the spring when we talk about that uh, flood irrigation that occurs on the ranch on the ranch lands out there. And so as we think about those, if I've under, understood correctly and think about the potential for that, for wetland abundance, wetland quality in the spring, when that region is so important, we have to think about and look at snowpack as it may be occurring in winter and then into the uh, into early spring, winter through early spring. So do you have a some insights on what the snowpack is shaping up to be uh, this winter? Yeah, um, we've had pretty mild winters so far. There hasn't been a lot of snow on the ground. There's not a whole lot of snow in the mountains either. So we're hoping 
you know, in January, February, we get quite a bit more snow to, you know, stabilize that snowpack and provide that, you know, necessary runoff in the spring for those habitats. But we, it doesn't look like we have much at this point. Water availability in in these intermountain west and in these uh, arid regions um, is quite a contrast to the way we think about it in, in the landscape landscapes with which I'm most familiar because in the Gulf Coast and in the lower Mississippi Valley, we don't depend on snow as a source of our uh, of our water for wetland management. It, it comes primarily in the – well, it comes in the form – not primarily. It comes in the form of rain, uh, whether that be falling on the landscape and just inundating areas or whether that be from overbank flooding of rivers and streams. Uh, so this idea of depending on snowpack and then that sort of being a st- storage, uh, having storage capacity in the form of that snow and then the dependence on that for the spring, uh, spring water uh, abundance. It's a different concept for me, at least with respect to firsthand experience. And so uh, it, it definitely brings with it some additional challenges. And, but nevertheless, it's, we're, we're dependent in these cases on the water that, that weather provides. And so this is a, offered some, you offered some interesting insights and I hope our listeners are able to get a better picture for that region and some of the work that we do there and uh, and, and some of the and why it's so important so uh, thank you for joining the show and and sharing your your insights yeah thanks for having me a special thanks to our guest on today's show amelia raquel a ducks unlimited biologist out in out in california working in the sonic region we also thank our producer, Clay Baird, who does a, a fantastic job editing these podcasts and getting them out to you, our listeners. And as always, to you, our listeners, we extend special thanks for sharing your time with us, and we thank you for your support, passion, and commitment to wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina ProPlan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. 
We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation, united by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation, take it outside.